Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. My name is Matt Salis, and I am joined again today by my lovely and beautiful wife, Sherry. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks. How you doing? I'm good. How you really doing? You, you know, today's topic is not your favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I guess not good. Anxious. Yeah. Well, me too, a little, and that doesn't happen very often, so it's an anxious thing to talk about, a nerve-wracking, private thing to talk about, but I really, 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 really appreciate you doing this. I know the the feedback we get when we talk about our relationship is um, substantial, and it's moving, and so... I think that's what keeps us pushing forward on this topic. I know that's that's how I feel, and and I appreciate you doing this. Thanks. So today, we, we've talked twice so far specifically about our relationship. We've had other recordings where we talked about things that, you know, and we brought our relationship in to make examples and to tell stories, but we've talked specifically I think it was episode nine of the Intoxicated Podcast. We talked about our relationship while I was drinking, the active alcoholism stage. And then we talked about early sobriety in a later episode. Sherry's story part two is what I think we titled that one. And then we've teased this a little bit, but today's topic is more specifically on intimacy in our relationship. We're going to talk about our sex life out loud and then put it on the internet for anyone to listen to. <laughs> Just trying to make you feel more comfortable. Thanks. Thought I'd, yeah. I'm already like squirming in my chair. Yeah. It's early, so I said, let's just get it done and over with and let it just ruin the rest of my day. So well, it's making me feel good. Let's just get it done and over with. What a great way to lead into a conversation about our sex life. <laughs> That was great. We didn't even plan that. Well done, Sherry. Um, so I've had enough conversations and written about it and read responses enough and just kind of gotten hints around the edges to feel pretty confident that our story is nothing unique, uh, that our story is very typical of a relationship dealing with alcoholism. So that's why it's important that we talk about it. Because when we share our stories and we resonate, we share the pain and it helps people heal. And that is an undisputable fact of the work that we do, whether it's writing or talking. And so that's why I think this is really important. Let's let's start with what I think is a very typical start to our relationship. We met in a bar. Yeah. And on your birthday, yeah. And now, granted, I was drinking, it was my 21st birthday, so I was drinking a lot, and you were working. But you know, even though we weren't drinking together, just makes me think of that 80s song 
by Human League. Yeah. I was working as a waitress in. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, so you were a server that night, but, you know, we were, the first time we met in a bar, you were working, but it was still probably number one hangout for us going forward. Uh, drinking was always involved in the relationship. The I think the first time we saw each other outside of the bar was at a party at the house that my friends and I were renting for the summer. And it just continued like that. I don't think probably for the first several, probably the first half dozen times we we were dating or we were just together with a bunch of friends that we were doing so without alcohol. I think alcohol was pretty much the center of our universe then. And so that's how we got it going. And, you know, one thing led to another. We, like I said, we started dating and then we started a sexual relationship and alcohol was a part of that pretty much every step of the way. And like I said, I think that's typical. And the thing that looking back, I certainly didn't have any of this knowledge then, but looking back, I think the really disappointing part of that or sad or just messed up is that there's all these things that make a relationship difficult especially when you're sober getting to know each other learning the ins and outs learning what the other person likes learning what what they dislike seeing how the personalities mesh seeing if this is someone that you really want to spend time with and and make an effort on and when we drink the way we did, we just kind of wash over all that stuff and say, hey, I think this person's cute and we laugh when we're together. Good enough. Let's not worry about any of those other things. So when people talk about alcohol lowering inhibitions, they usually talk about that as a positive. But I think now looking back. It lowers your standards too. Lowers your standards. Yeah. You, just, you don't even know if you have standards. Yeah. Yeah. Or what your standards are, especially because you're so young and new, you know, in the dating scene and trying to choose a mate at that age. Yeah. Because you don't even really know yourself. Now, did you look at it at that point? Like when you say trying to choose a mate, did you, were you, did you have a long-term eye to things? I'm not saying when we were first dating, did you want to get married, but. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't thinking that, like, I mean, I think the only time I really started thinking about that was because we met in the second semester of your junior year of college, and the only time I started thinking about that more was, like, the winter Christmas break of your senior year, and knowing what was coming down the pipeline. Um, So we were well involved by that point. Right, and there were also some of our friends that were, like, maybe a year ahead that um, had graduated and were moved on and settling down. And so I guess I didn't really think about it then. I mean, I guess if you and I broke up, I don't know if I would have been like, Oh, there goes my mate. You know, the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with necessarily. Like, I don't know. Cause I wasn't like looking for that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you were one of the longest relationships I had for sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously now we're married, but even back then, like, to have made it three or four months probably would have, I think, like, yeah. six months is probably the longest relationship I had. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't start with a long-term eye, but like you said, it lowered, 
it's a very flattering thing for me to think about it lowered your standards that you were like, yeah, whatever, this guy's fine. But, you know, no, I mean, we can joke about it, but in a way... <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, this guy's fine, and he's fun to hang out with, and we're getting along, and, you know, we're just hanging out, having fun, and we have a lot of the same people that we hang out with, and we work at the same place, and so well, it was... So it was just another compliment. Like, it was a convenience factor. Like, yeah. it was convenient to know where my boyfriend have, was. You didn't have any standards, and I was convenient. Good. That's great. I knew this was going to be painful. Let's go ahead and start early. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I don't. I just don't want to gloss over the whole, the begin when we begin relationships where drinking is a central focus, which in the case of certainly all of my friends... We, that we were in a fraternity together and we drank together. It wasn't like we said on Friday night, hey, I'm going to go play bingo with some girl. <laughs> like it was, we're going like to go to the bar, bar and see and what happens. Gonna go, yeah, go see a band, go to the bar. So there was never a time when drinking wasn't involved early on. And I just, I, I mean, I think if I think through my friends from that time, your friends from that time, and look at just divorce rate, uh, I think it's pretty standard, something less than 50%, but not that much less than 50%, which I think is what the standard American divorce rate is. But, you know, I just, I, I, I can't help but wonder now in the position that we're in, how much of that is because when we're meeting people and we're pairing off and deciding we're going to start our lives together, there's so much stuff that just gets glossed over because the drinking is such a central focus mm-hmm. and this whole lowering of inhibitions and and making it you know what's the you know lubricating the process of getting to know each other is really kind of a terrible thing instead of a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I stayed together, but boy oh boy, did we have some rough spots to get over yeah and some of our friends weren't so lucky. So, or maybe they were luckier because they didn't deal with the rough spots. I don't mean to criticize anyone who made the decision to end their relationship because that's a very personal decision. And I'm, I don't in any way mean to look down on divorce if that's... Or make it sound like it's the easy way out. Right. It's, it's not easy. No, and if yeah. that was the right decision in your relationship, then then that's the right decision in your relationship. No, no second guessing that at all. I just wonder if it wouldn't happen less often if... We didn't drink our way through the dating scene at just as not not certainly me and my friends and your friends, but as a culture overall as well. So pretty typical start to our relationship. We then moved to St. Paul, Minnesota together. Well, yeah, Egan, Minnesota, the suburban St. Paul. That was the only time That's in our where Carson Daly's from. Really? That's so. something that's I'm not going to reserve any space in no. the whole memory banks for. Gosh, but I think I think that was the only time in our... I know that was the only time in our relationship we've ever lived in a suburb. We've always been in whatever city we lived in. Yeah, yeah. And that was just, I think, because it was kind of close to your work. And yeah, it was that, affordable. that was the town my office was in. Yeah, and it was just right. I mean, it was just a little farm spot from St. Paul, but yeah. Well, and I know that then when we lived and we moved away, I remember having a conversation at one point, like, would it be, would we have, would we have stayed together through those first 
few years of living together had we not lived so far away from, like, my family, where it would be easy for me just to, you know, say, screw you, I'm out of here, packing my bags, going to go live with my mom because she's conveniently close and start start anew. I mean, like, us being far away from your family and my family... Well, and that kind of forced us to still like stay together and work it out in a way. And not to just rip on your family, but divorce was not uncommon on your side of the family. So had your family been close and we had trouble, right? That they would, would not have, have been, been a, that would not have been a unique pattern. Right? They would have been more than willing to like take me in and help out. And I mean, I have you know, yeah. You're right. That's a good question. But I think, so on the topic of the day, on the topic of sex and intimacy, again, I think it was a very typical start when we were still in school together. We uh, did it early and often as much as, you know, I've said and I've written we couldn't keep our hands off each other. Maybe more accurate was I couldn't keep (laughs) my hands off you and you were okay with that. At the time, I don't know. If I thought you were, were going to say another thing you couldn't keep off of me. Another body part. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was into it. That's for sure. Yeah. And, but you, you didn't make me feel like it was a one-way street. <laughs> Maybe that's the biggest compliment <laughs> I can give to your hormonal interest in sex at that point. You were not, you know, you didn't reject me very often, if at all. So, again, I think that's very typical. We were in our young 20s, and and then we, so we moved to Egan, Minnesota, and we were only there for two years. I know we fought a lot. I remember getting locked out on the, we we both smoked at the time, (laughs) and we were in a little third story, I don't know, like 800 square foot apartment, little tiny thing. And we were on the third floor, and I would go out on the balcony to smoke, and I would hear the lock get thrown behind me. While That's I was out mature. There with my... Would that be after Friday night happy hours? Well, I, I remember that I was into rum and coke at the time, and I remember I'd be out there with my cigarettes and my rum and coke, and I'd hear the door lock. And of course, it was Minnesota, so if it was January, it was actually a somewhat serious issue to be on a Minnesota patio in January. But... Uh, but yeah, so lots of fights, but I don't feel like intimacy-wise, sex life-wise, I still feel like we were pretty typical. I didn't feel bad about myself. I didn't feel like I was asking for something that you weren't willingly interested in or giving, at least. Yeah. I think I think our fights were immature and growing pains and not knowing each other. Like, but it was never like serious issues when you think about it. When I think well, we didn't back have about, any, ser- we didn't have any kids, right. we I mean, didn't have didn't a mortgage, have, we right, didn't have any serious right. issues. Like there were, but I mean, like your the serious issue about drinking, like that wasn't a part of it. Like there were no like real hurtful topics. Now you did say that you thought it was weird that now that we were professionals, we both yeah. went to nine to five jobs every day, that you thought it was. Uh, unhealthy or odd or I just the drink like yeah every day that, like that I, I drink every day right and work. you thought oh well you know come home from work have a cocktail that's very grown up and mature yeah I thought I finally made it and I was like, like I don't know it just gone did it, yeah it just the cake parties it. now cocktails after work is this is the rest of my life I thought yeah. this was important and good and it but but it 
did it turn you off? Like, is it enough to say that you were growing less attractive when I would come home and suck down rum every night? Um, I don't know. It was also a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like, like that so much. I guess I just thought, wow, I thought we'd be kind of growing up and doing grown up things, but we're just still going to work and then acting like we're, you know, a happy hour in a bar. So I guess I didn't, didn't really find it so unattractive, just a little disappointing. Like I thought it would be so much different being grown up and on our own. So we we continued to have a very active sex life at that stage. Uh, we moved to Chicago two years into our being grown-ups together, and that was mid-1990s. And I think things, things changed in Chicago. I think things changed for you. Nothing ever changed for me, but things changed for you. Is that fair? I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Like I, I've, when we were talking about planning this, I kept thinking about how did I feel about our sexual relationship in Chicago, and I don't really remember it. I remember there were a few fights and arguments that I could remember were kind of bad. I don't remember anything glorious and grand. I feel like we got along decently, but you traveled more there. Yeah. And I felt and I felt like your drinking took that's when you were like drinking like scotch and vodka and like hosting, you know, dinners and taking clients out to dinner and stuff like that. So I feel like there was a little bit of a disconnect in some ways. So it but wasn't necessarily to, us drinking together or, right, or you me would, drinking while we were at home you would together. Be, yeah, you would be out a lot with clients like through the week. And I know we tried going out like one night a week for ourselves for dinner to be kind of date dinnery thing, but then you were like, you know, you just ate out so much with clients, and you just. But so if I came home, oh, after, you were gone after being out with clients, and I smelled like scotch, and you oh, hadn't and cigars. Been with me. Let's that yes, because that was yeah, that was the time with all those steel guys. Ugh. So I'd come home smelling like that, and you hadn't been with me all night to begin with. And I had. I mean, yeah. as I say this out loud, it just seems to me like, why on earth would you be attracted? So, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, yeah, I think it so. it was a turnoff. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, when you're not around somebody all day, and then, and you know, you like I said, you were working a lot, you were developing the career, so we didn't have a whole lot of good intimate times. And then I feel like the times we did hang out, we had friends around. They would either come off from Indiana because it was a short drive, and they were or from the Chicagoland area and would come in. And we hosted a lot. We had people at our condo because we were so close to like Wrigley Field and and downtown, and we were just in the cool hot spot. Yeah. But so the the frequency continued as far as our sex life is concerned, but. You were starting at least to be less interested, and yeah, I think so. I think just with all these factors, yeah, and I think just the hours that were kept for me at my work and for a while, and then. So what's what's interesting about this? We still aren't married. We're living together. We got married in Chicago. Yeah, we got married. But we're moving toward marriage, and there's a decline happening, and I couldn't see it. And you were kind of ignoring it. Is that fair? 
Yeah. And then we had kids. And is that kind of a monumental point for you for when things changed and started to get worse? Mm. You mean like desire or desire, pleasure, interest? Uh, I suppose, yeah. I mean, I feel like, like with the first one, I feel like you were very supportive and we were all figuring it, you know, we were figuring it all out. And then we came home and healing and I just remember like, you were just amazed at the size of breastfeeding breasts and... (laughs) Like, we joked about that, and I feel like we were really supported. But then, as, like, the weeks went on, and it still wasn't time to get back into a sexual routine. That because was, you were healing? Because I was healing. Right. It felt like... I was impatient? Yeah. Impatient would be a, a good way to describe it. So then it just... Selfish. Then that became the duty part. That's when I think probably the the chore sort of feeling started to set in like it was a chore or my duty or so I was selfish so yeah I know you're a new mother and yeah I know you don't sleep anymore and you're still recovering physically recovering but but what about my needs Sherry that kind of a thing yeah a little bit not quite as I feel like not quite as bad with the first one because I don't I don't feel like Maybe it was because it's that first one, too, and I'm still, like, in that euphoric state. So and not, you did some traveling when we first moved back there and had Catherine. Yeah, so we're back in St. Paul, Minnesota now. Not in Egan, but actually in the city of St. Paul. And the first house that we lived in mm-hmm. was in St. Paul. And, we had, and, yeah, I did do some, some traveling then. Not a lot, but... Definitely your drinking had gotten... Like, it had ramped up from Chicago. Like, it ramped up and it kind of stayed ramped up. Yeah. Yeah, so as much as alcoholism is a progressive disease and my drinking increased progressively, it was just a direct correlation to you being less interested in me attractiveness-wise and sexually? That was the place where I feel like you passed out downstairs. Because our bedroom was upstairs and the living room was downstairs. And you passed out you know, before we even had kids a lot downstairs. Um, I guess kids, we only had one kid in that house. So I, I feel like that's when I started to notice this shift. And when we worked on the house, you couldn't do it without, you know, if you were outside, you had to have beer. Um, so you said the first kid wasn't so bad, but then what, what got worse? As far worse? as the turning off. Right. What got worse with, with more well, kids? Well, when we owned our own business too, you had such a it was so much more stressful so then it was so by now we've moved to denver yeah and i feel like it was an expectation and and you were using a stress reliever too alcohol and sex yeah so it wasn't it was an expectation because it was something i was using to just cope with right calm down and feel good and feel like and because i think maybe you maybe subconsciously you weren't thinking about it maybe because you did keep such early morning hours and work all day and then you were in bed early and then I stayed up and did some stuff like I would tuck you in 
and go do some stuff. So maybe tuck you, were, you in meant like we'd have we'd, some form of sex. Yeah, like and the kids would go to bed, and then I would stay up and do house stuff. Okay, so and laundry. Maybe part of it was that you were thinking that was the the intimacy and the bonding and the relationship, just the sex, with no like conversation, no romance, no foreplay, no pleasure for me, like no even just rubbing my back or you know, maybe that was like your substitute for all of that without you even thinking. And I just thought of it just now as like that was just the substitute because our time was so pressed. And as people know with parents being parents, you don't have a lot of that time to give. Yeah, as as hard as this is to talk about and open up about, I don't think anything that we're describing is unusual or right. You know, drinking or not, time gets more more precious as you have kids and the responsibilities grow. Right. But when and, you yeah. when you add the drinking to it, I think for us it was it was even worse than that. But just when you when you talk about tucking me in, I kind of had forgotten about that terminology. But and and I can see where it would be easy to justify with that stressful situation we were in. I can see where it would be easy for me to justify. Oh, I need this as stress relief. But for you, I mean, that took everything out of it for you, right? Because we have to acknowledge that hormonally, emotionally, women and men are different. Men are when they're in that animal instinct, primal, this is just all about having an orgasm, that's way different than how how women feel and certainly how you felt. It was, I mean, the word intimacy encapsulates a lot more than sex. It, it, it's about this emotional relationship that, you know, intimacy doesn't start at 10 o'clock when we go to bed. Intimacy starts earlier in the day or days earlier how are we treating each other and how are we how doing co-parenting we yeah how connected do we feel how whether whether or not you're going to enjoy anything in the bedroom has very little to do with what actually takes place in the bedroom it has far more to do with what takes place leading up to going into the bedroom and so if i had reduced the act of sex down to stress relief for me and like i said I'm embarrassed about it, but I can easily see how I justified it in my mind and said, look, that was a tough, tough time. We had, we were up against it and I needed this just like I would have said that about alcohol. Right. Right. And also then, you know, we had eventually had four kids and, you know, more stress and four locations of our business at one time, but also the, you know, the drinking was a constant um, passing you passing out everywhere, anywhere. I mean, it's not like you had a problem going to sleep. Like you could fall asleep anywhere. I think that was fraternity trained, but also like you had your nice little sleeping aid, alcohol to help. So well, and then you would wake up, and then you'd come and wake me up, and you know it was like, good lord, like you can't even respect the sleep that I'm getting. Well, yeah, it was. Because the ultimate in selfishness. And, and you probably didn't even remember, like, half the times waking up and coming upstairs from watching TV. and Yeah, and I would wake you up because I was loud, but I would also wake you up because I wanted to have sex. Yeah, because it was your going to bedtime then. Like, you know. Yeah, and, you know, when I, when I think about it now, 
I mean, selfish is is certainly a word, but when I now, you know, I didn't understand then what, the part I just described about how intimacy for you, for I think a lot of women, starts way before you get into the bedroom. I didn't understand that, and the damage that I did was kind of immeasurable when I'm using it as stress relief. I know another thing that was not uncommon because of the amount I was drinking was we would get started with the process of you tucking me in. Mm-hmm. And we, we both keep doing air quotes when we say tucking me in. But yeah, too bad it isn't video. <laughs> but but we we would start that process and a lot of times I would pass out on you yeah. while you were trying to arouse me. And that's got to be just I don't know, crushing in some way, right? I mean, not not that you weren't attractive enough to me, but like, this guy is a selfish pig to begin with, and now look at this. Now, now he can't even stay awake. Like, did, I mean, how did that feel? That must have been. No, I guess I never thought about. It. I mean, I know that it happened all the time, not all the time, but quite a bit of the time. Um. Yeah, I guess I thought, oh wow, he. I, mean, I don't know. It was I don't know. pretty despicable. I guess the, the the hard thing about that, like all I can think about is the actions because I can't think about the emotion I was having of it. But can't think like, about the emotion. I can't think it's about too hard the, or you no. Can't I don't. Remember. I can't. I don't know how I felt about it. All I knew was shit. He's gonna wake up in like ten minutes and want me to start back over again. And you know, we're just gonna be sitting here wasting all this time. Yeah. And that's definitely what happened when. Like we would argue and we would use sex as a makeup to make you feel better. Yeah. You know. To make me feel better. So at this like point. after the argument. At this point there's no, nothing about sex, nothing about intimacy, nothing about our physical relationship at all that's making you feel anything but repulsed. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean there's no, like when you say makeup sex, that was never... I can't, there was never even one single time where that was good for you. That was soothing in any way for you. Mm-mm. That was more like punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely and, punishment. And I think because of the way that sex had been used and abused or neglected leading up to it, you know, and feeling like it was a chore or a duty, it definitely felt like punishment. Like, and because, you know, most of the arguments were my fault in the beginning of the of the argument you know that's how you would start the healing process and I had to you know it's like oh well if you wouldn't have done this or you would have just drank with me because I wasn't drinking hardly at all at this point right you know it turned into being my problem my fault I'm causing the issues sure and so and, and to make up and you know to while you're on that topic I didn't do that out of some sense of being evil bad guy. I believed it. Right. I believed this stuff was your fault. I I think to to not believe that would have forced me to acknowledge the part alcohol was playing in our mutual destruction. And so to protect myself, but more than to protect myself, to protect my favorite hobby of drinking it couldn't have been the alcohol's fault. It couldn't have been my fault as someone who was drunk. It had to be your fault. Yeah. Because if it was my fault or alcohol's fault, 
then we got to address the drinking. And that's the last thing I wanted to do at that point. And all of this, I think, is happening on a very subconscious level. I, d I didn't sit there and say, oh, I got to make sure I blame Sherry so that she won't ask me to slow down my drinking. Yeah. It was more, I sit there and try to process it and be like, this has got to be her fault, doesn't it? Well, and I think... Like, I think about the times that we had gone away, not necessarily vacation with the kids, but when our business held these conventions, usually this is what happened. There was um, lots of drinking a few times, or, you know, a few times we had a nice drunken sexual encounter um, most of the time. I think, like, one time we didn't. Because also, I think just parenthood kind of changed me. Sure. Like that, my, you know, my emotional connection went to them because obviously because I wasn't getting it from you because you were so busy with the business. And I mean, I was a part of it for some point, but I remember like when we had our third child, I hardly stepped in there at all. Like I would tell you to bring home a loaf of bread, you know. Because it was just so much going on. Yeah, and I, I think... And I did work. There were times, you know, that I, I, I did work throughout the bakery. But there was that small time after Joe was born that I didn't. Because we had four locations and it was... Or maybe three at that time. It was just too hard with three kids that were under five. To think about even you being away from the bakery. And me going in and stumbling around and... Well, so the so connection like my... somewhat naturally transfers, or your affection somewhat naturally yeah. transfers, and the to emotional the kids. ability to give, and, it, and then to come home time, and deal with a kind of a drunken well, baby. That's, that's yeah. I was like, a drunken baby. Oh, yeah, me being drunk. Yeah, like right. I'm like I I don't want to deal with this. Like, well, yeah, I think some of that is natural. I I don't think it's abnormal at all in a sober non-alcohol fueled relationship for the emotional side of things to right. change through parenthood and but, probably change more dramatically for the woman than for the man but when you take all that and pour the gasoline of alcohol on top of it I mean I guess, I guess as we talk about it, I can't even imagine you being even a little bit attracted to me right the and then like I would try to be like you know try to explain it to you and you just, like, you couldn't get it, or you didn't understand, or you thought I was being selfish. And, and like, I was like, I just don't have anything to give to you. And then it was a big turnoff with, like, the drinking and the passing out, or the, like, I can't count on him. But, but through it all, from everything I've learned about intimacy, one of two things can happen at this point. The physical contact can completely go away. The two, the two members of the couple can say, "There's nothing there, emotional intimacy wise. Let's just stay away from each other." Right. Or, what what can happen is what happened with us, and the frequency of our physical encounters, the frequency of sex continued, and it was loveless, certainly. For you, it was pretty loveless for me, but, you know, I felt, I selfishly felt like I deserved it, and like you said, stress relief, and, you know, I'm Going married, this is my right to some degree, mm -hmm. and you, you felt like it was a chore, 
you've certainly felt like it was loveless. But I think the point I want to make right here is it was worse than that for you. It was doing long-term, perhaps permanent damage because when you are coerced, even if it's, you know, willingly or somewhat willingly or however you want to describe it, when you are participating in this, not against your will, like I didn't rape you. I don't want to make it sound like that. But um, when it's not your idea of a good time and you're getting nothing from it, no, nothing from a well, physical I, pleasure yeah. or an emotional pleasure standpoint. Well, and if I said no, it, you know, like the alcohol fueled was like, we're married. Like this is what we should be doing. And, and there was like no, no. Like we had like the pact sort of, you know, like this helps you stress relief and decompress from the day. This is what couples are married. They do. They take care of each other. Yeah. Sometimes during alcohol arguments, you know, I did it because I knew that if I said no, that that would create more of an argument and try to explain to someone drunk, like, why it's not physically and emotionally good for me. Yeah. And then the smell of alcohol on your breath. Yeah, I was a monster, no question. I mean, I know you're not saying that, but I am. And so I guess the the point I'm trying to make at this point is it wasn't just bad at that time. It, it wasn't just a period we had to get through and then things got better. It we would have been better off if we had taken the original the the initial course that I described when intimacy goes bad and just stayed away from each other. That would have been sex. easier to recover from because instead what we did turned kind of vile and like you said chore like and routine but but worse it was it was not anything you wanted anything to do with and it left lasting memories and bad bad feelings and so now here we are three years into sobriety and well on our way both personally in recovering from the disease and then recovering as a couple as well and it still haunts us and probably will for a long time is that fair yeah yeah, like, so much of the sex turned me off of the whole thing. Like, just don't even want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. I kind of feel like I've been used up. Like, we've used all of our tokens. Like, yeah. At some times. Like, I just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to, like, kind of be in that relaxed state of mind sometimes. Even now. Well, now, as we try to rebuild things, we try to rebuild things on the intimacy side, but more importantly, we're just trying to rebuild our relationship in a more general sense. The word that I think that comes up the most, I mean, we've, we've dealt with the resentments of the past. You and I have had many, many conversations about bad things that I did, bad things that happened when I was drinking 
lots and lots of apologizing, lots of forgiving on your part. And, you know, and honestly, that goes both ways to some degree, because sometimes you got pretty insanely mad when I was drinking and Mm -hmm. said things you regretted. And, and I've certainly forgiven you for that as well. So that very angry. Yeah. That part's important. And we've worked through the resentments, but there's still this trust issue. And it's not, as you've said before, it's not a financial trust or you're not worried I'm going to cheat on you. I'm not worried you're going to cheat on me. We're not worried about, you know, not going to work and not taking care of the kids. And it's it's more of a, a worry about what, when I say something to you or you say something to me more specifically that might be bad news, how am I going to react? That's something that continues to haunt you and you can't trust that I'm going to have a good mature sober reasonable reaction to to bad news or just something that you know is not going to be my favorite thing to hear right yeah yeah it's definitely still that yeah and so I don't know what to expect yeah because like with alcohol there's so much diversified emotions like be the same thing but two different reactions that I could have that you could have depending, depending on, on what was in your mind before you started drinking or how your day had been I mean definitely like if I knew your day was bad then we knew it was going to be bad but but so even today you might I don't know on a rational just, level know what my reaction is going to be but you just can't help but worry that it's going to be some kind of flaming ridiculous reaction yeah and that lack of trust that we're working on, and we're certainly making progress, but... Well, and also, I, I think I kind of got a little protective. Like, I didn't want to share stuff with you. Because of how I'd react? Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to open up. Yeah. Hard to trust myself to be able to say it without, you know, being defensive or bitchy or know it all or... Like, I'm just telling you this. I don't need your opinion about it. Like, that sort of feeling. And so, that lingering... Trust, I think, still is the best word. That lingering trust issue, when we talk about that intimacy starts way before the bedroom, that's kind of a big problem. Because if we don't... If you don't trust me in just kind of everyday life, it's hard for you to find any kind of attraction or desire. And you've got that plus all the built up baggage of what sex meant for so many years. It was, again, just a just a chore, just a feelingless awfulness. And so when you combine those things, it's it's hard for you to think of intimacy in a positive light right and I mean I think that and I'm not like a very affectionate person romantic or public display of affection and so having a mom who was divorced and yeah she remarried a little bit while I was in school like I just didn't see that growing up so that also kind of I think adds to like just not being loving and 
flirtatious. I don't know. But just, you know, being open and loving and... Yeah. It kind of, like, kind of, you know, makes it a little bit like, oh, now we're in the bedroom. Now we got to have sex. And it's not anything that's, like, been going on throughout the day. You know... To kind of get it going or feeling romantic about it. Or... I, th- I think there's some truth to that. But I also think that I wrecked that. I mean, I think... Yeah, public display of affection, neither of us are big into that. Totally get that. But just flirtatious affection and, you know, uh, touching each other as we walk past each other or kissing throughout the day, which we just don't do. I think that's something that I drove out of you. I drove out of the relationship because of my drinking. I think that that is a little bit less... um, Genetic or from your upbringing, and more so because of the destruction of our alcoholic relationship. I think that could have been there had I done things differently, had we had a different experience early in our relationship and then early in our marriage. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with me. Well, maybe that too. And also, as you were talking and thinking, I was thinking. I know there were lots of times where, like, even if I did just, like, give you a hug or kiss you or you were rubbing my back because it hurt, like, it had to turn into you being satisfied. Yeah. Like, there was never a, like, like a moment, like, when you're first supposed to be first dating, you don't have sex right away. You, like, make out and you get all excited and you don't have to orgasm and and you just kind of deal with those, like, those anticipatory feelings of, like, oh, I can't wait to see them again and that sort of stuff where... Because we were married, or we were living together, anything that happened like that had to turn into you. Yeah, that's the selfishness of alcoholism. Yeah. I mean, and I, I keep, I feel guilty about about a hundred things as we talk, and I, I know how awful of a human being I am, and how awful of a human being I sound like on this, and I, I've probably created a lot of enemies talking about this and being open, but... And I, it sounds like I'm just blaming alcohol for everything. But the the reason that I keep saying, like, oh, yeah, what, like what you just described, if, if, if I rubbed your back, it had to turn into sex, and alcohol is so selfish. The reason I say that is because now it doesn't. Right. Now I'm three years sober, and when I rub your back, it isn't like I'm exerting some massive amount of self-control by not asking for sex after I've rubbed your back. I don't feel like we need to have sex after I've rubbed your back. That isn't, and I don't think that's just me getting older and my sex drive waning. It because it's a very different feeling. It's it's so much less selfish. We, I mean, yeah, like we, you said, the we, other night when we were watching Colbert, I think it was. I was, I you you laid down. I said, if you want to sit back up, I'll rub your back, and I did so for like fifteen minutes, and. There was nothing sexual about it at all. Right. It was, I knew your back had been hurting and I knew, I know you like to have your back rubbed. And so like, I wasn't even, I wasn't, I was watching the monologue. I wasn't even you're thinking not, about it. Yeah. It was just, you're not selfish at thinking like, what am I going to get out of this? How am I going to feel better? And we've talked about how you like to be this giving and loving person and that you, you know, I hate the word pleasure. We've talked about that, but how you take pleasure, but it also probably fills you with a sense of loving pride 
that you're helping me feel better and helping me feel good in a non-sexual way and aren't in return needing to have sex to make yourself feel better because you're more comfortable with who you are and where we are with the recovery process and being sober. It's kind of taken away your selfishness and brought back who you really were. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that on a conscious level. There's, you use the word pride. There's There's a little bit of pride in the fact that I can rub your back or... I don't know. Another another thing all. when you when you're taking a bath, sometimes you ask me to boil hot water and bring it in because the bath gets too cold for you. Because I stay in too long. To well, and so I do that, me. and there's nothing. You know, back when I was drinking, I'd have been like, "Oh, my wife's naked in the bathtub," but now I just bring you the hot water and pour it in and walk away. And it's not that I'm I'm less attracted to you. It's it's it it's just a, I think it's a more normal feeling i'm i'm helping out someone i love i'm not when i was rubbing your back the other night it was it wasn't like i consciously said oh i'm proud of myself because i'm not trying to get in her pants while i do this it was do a reach around it was very much more i'm watching tv and so she and kind of even lost track of the fact that i was so i don't know pride yeah i think sometimes pride it's hard to have gone as deep into this hole as I have driven us and to feel any pride at all. So, but yeah, there's some of that, I guess, but it's more just, this is how we're supposed to act as human beings. This is the, the real me. So I, pride, maybe relief is more of the issue that I'm not just a piggish, awful animal, forceful, you know, selfish. You were hurting. And so like that instant gratification of, a few seconds of pleasure. Yeah. Like released. Sure. It's just like, know, it's just like when you're, means. when you're drinking deep into alcoholism, it mostly makes you feel bad to drink, but there is a little bit of it making you feel good or, or just numbing out for a little bit before all the horror comes raging back. So yeah, it was, it was pain relief. But the other, you know, and I can't imagine anyone's going to listen to this and have any pity on me or compassion for me at all but here we are in this recovery process and we're trying to bring intimacy back into the relationship and that's very difficult from your side because of the haunting memories and the the years of bad sex and bad experiences and you're you're doing your best I appreciate that but now What's interesting is when things are routine and chore-like in the bedroom, that is crushing to me because I, I don't know. I Because I'm not, I don't have that just animalistic, selfish, this is all about me getting off drive anymore. And I want that intimacy and that closeness so badly. I mean, this is a very sexist thing to say, but it makes me feel like a chick now that your your pleasure and so yeah your pleasure you know means what everyone thinks pleasure means right but even more than that just your comfort level just your being able to relax and feel close to me um that often is not there and that's really really hard for me it makes me feel like a monster still i guess in a way, it's kind of like a flashback for me to the way it was for so long. 
And boy, that is kind of the lingering worst thing left about alcoholism. So there's no coincidence to the, or there's no, you know, it's not, it's very intentional that this is the third time that we've talked specifically about our relationship and that the topic is intimacy this time because this is the piece that remains so hard to fix. And I think for a long time, I looked at it like, come on, Sherry, you've just got to, you got to move past all that stuff and you've got to be able to relax when we're together and you've got to feel close. And I think that's looking, trying to fix a result that should naturally occur. So there is no such thing as working on you relaxing and there's no such thing as you working on feeling close. What has to happen is all the days and hours and weeks, frankly, leading up to us trying to have an encounter like that, those things have to be good so that you feel good when we when we start to make physical contact. I rambled there for a little bit, so mm-hmm. can you give me more than a, like a little half head nod? <laughs> um, yeah, and maybe it's like we have to, maybe part of it is we have to go above and beyond because we went so far and below, yeah, low and below, that now it kind of has to be a bigger buildup of getting along and things going right and you know whereas if it was a normal relationship a little hiccup two days earlier doesn't necessarily dictate um you know a a lack of trust and intimacy and they could go out on a date and have a have a nice romantic evening and have a nice romantic time in the bedroom whereas because i feel like when we have issues that um now like they're just so much more painful and it's maybe because just so raw or you know or so many or there's just memories come flying back yeah or and so many hurts or there's just so much that was damaged that it's easy to go back into like a bad place or feel bad like you said you know like it makes you feel really hurtful when it is, when you can tell I'm not really into it, you know. Yeah. Which, just having participated in this conversation, I deserve every bit of that pain. And so, mm. no one should feel sorry for me by any means. Um, you know, I always like to try anyway to end on a positive note being the eternal optimist that I am. Right. Um, I think I think it's probably important that we share with listeners that this is far from fixed and far from good, but that we have had some pretty pretty good moments, pretty good experiences with intimacy kind of here and there. Mm-hmm. And that if anything, those fleeting, not moments, but the times when the intimacy has been good is a motivator for continuing to work on it and getting it back. Because when we have had periods that led up to us being romantic and being physical, 
that were good and then the pleasure was good it made me feel good it made me feel like like a good husband mm-hmm. and you know it was certainly something that you relaxed and enjoyed and I mean I'd like to say that it would create a lasting bond that would go on for days and days and we just but that's not the that's just not how it works for us not yet that you know if if something went wrong the next day then we were right back in a bad spot but the fact that we have connected and in ways in the last couple of years that we haven't I mean we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary and we've connected in the last couple of years in ways that we never had in the in the previous 25 so even with all the damage and destruction we have had experiences that were un um unexperienceable <laughs> when i was drinking not just because of the the damage that i was causing but we just as humans you know we were so disconnected and so going in the wrong direction that it wasn't possible so we can hang on to those highlights and mm-hmm. try for more and try to make that instead of a rare occasion more of a regular occasion mm-hmm. and only time will do that i think time and building that trust and patience and forgiveness and all the words we use in recovery from alcoholism right yep well you're a trooper i can tell you're done (laughs) this is way more than enough talking about sex for you (laughs) yep but i appreciate you and your honesty you didn't say sex like a thousand times so that was good yeah you did in one of your I tried to use physical intimacy, yeah, contact. I tried to sprinkle the infield a little bit on the sex words. Yeah. So glad you appreciate that. <coughs> All yeah. right. <clears throat> well, feel pretty awful. So let's. I'm sorry. It's not, <laughs> what do you have to be sorry about? I'm not a good person, or I wasn't a good person. That's the that's the point. What do you mean? It wasn't you weren't a good person and you're not a good person. Alcohol made you somebody that you weren't. Well, it did a really good job. But I'm glad we're still together, still working on this. I love you. Love you too. All right, thank you for listening to the Intoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis with my heroic wife, Sherry Salis. Thanks. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.